Welcome to another episode of the Darren Batchelder's Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today we have an exceptional guest, Jennings Smith, as the CEO of Live Oak Capital. He's managed over a thousand units and 61 million in assets with a knack for turning around distressed properties into high demand real estate. Jennings has a wealth of experience and insight to share. But before we get started, if you're a high net worth individual looking to preserve your capital and build your wealth responsibly by passively investing in multifamily real estate, and you'd like my help, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call today. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Jennings Smith. Jennings, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, this is the first time that Jennings and myself are talking together, but Jennings has a great story and I'm interested in hearing that. And I want the listeners to, to understand that there's a lot of people that go from single family to multifamily and that's a big challenge and that's a big jump and Jennings can talk to that. So with that, can you share with the listeners kind of how many properties and how many units you're invested in? And we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. I'm Jennings. I'm based out of Charleston, South Carolina. And our portfolio is, we got about a thousand uh, rental properties as far as with apartment complexes. Then we have another 500 self-storage units. Um, I, I did have some mobile home parks, but we sold those off. <laughs> got into a little bit easier assets to manage with, with the apartments. And so, yeah, that's spread out over about 12 properties, um, a lot in the Southeast. Um, we've got a large property out in Oklahoma, um, and then some in Ohio, Illinois, uh, Midwest area. But yeah, we, we started, I started out with, with mobile homes, um, and then got into some single family homes and then realized if I really want to do this as a business and as a living and want to scale and grow, I may not be in the best uh, asset. So that, that's what drove me to start looking into apartments. So explain that a little bit, because one, you know, most people will start with residential. Um, so you, it sounds like you started with mobile homes that is different than most people. And so why did you start with mobile homes and then, you know, why do you feel like you wanted to get out of that asset class? Well, I started with mobile homes because I was broke. <laughs> you know, that's what I could afford at the time. Um, I, I didn't know any creative strategies. I didn't, I, I mean, raising capital never even crossed my mind at the time. And so I, uh, my roommate in college, his father owned a mobile home park. And so I went and I had the uh, entrepreneurial band. I was a contractor. I had started my own little construction company and I met with him and he said, Hey, you can, you can buy trailers that are in trailer parks that have been abandoned or, you know, the tenant left and quit paying. And the park typically will sell them to you fairly 
cheaply just so that they can get their lot rent. Cause that's what the park owner cares about is, is his park is full and he's got lot rent. And so then you buy these things, get them habitable, fix them up, and then you can sell them to uh, owner finance or you can rent them out as a rental. And it's an easy way to get started with, with very little money. And so that's what I did. I, I saved up $5,000 and uh, I went to a mobile home park manager and they had, a, they had an abandoned double wide that didn't have flooring, didn't have heat and air. Um, no one had lived there for, for a couple of years, probably. And she's like, yeah, I mean, you can pay me five grand. You can have it. So um, gave her five grand, put another $5,000 into it. I did it all myself, right? I was a contractor. And I mean, I'm, literally, I did it myself nights and weekends and fixed it up. Um, and I got a person in there, sold it to them, owner finance for, I think, $20,000. And wow. Uh, well, hold hold on on the judgment of how smart I am because <laughs> the guy you I thought, think he put, you thought it was a big win. Yeah, I thought I did. I did, but um, I, he put down maybe two thousand dollars and he didn't have a job. So red flag number one. He was a student and he was getting some money from the government and and I, very quickly he stopped paying. And so I think he paid maybe two months and then he quit paying. Then his dad came and bailed him out. Uh, and then he quit paying again. And finally I, I got him out of the, of the property and he had moved some dogs in there. And I mean, they had just, dis- it was, it was in worse shape than when I had initially bought it, uh, oh, wow. if you can believe it or not. And so I was heart sick, you know, I was like, well, this, I thought this was going to work. I thought I was going to be making money and I almost quit. I was like, real estate doesn't work. This is, this is stupid. But what, when I looked at myself, it was like, well, Jennings, you know, did you run a background check on this guy? Did you see if he had prior evictions? Did you check his income? No. I mean, you didn't even do the basics of, of, of property management. So you can't necessarily blame the vehicle. You just got to blame yourself. And so I got back in there, I fixed it up, and I, I ended up selling it. I think I just sold it outright for 14000 or 15000 And so I still made money on it. Um, but it did give me the courage and confidence to buy another one. So I bought another one for 7000 that had a renter in there at $700 a month and pay the, the trailer park a couple hundred bucks. And I was making a couple hundred bucks and it worked. And so then I bought another one uh, and then I bought another one. And eventually I had, I think six or seven of these that are, I was either renting or selling owner financed. Um, and then that gave me the courage and capital to buy a single family home. And then I bought another one and, uh, and I was like, I want to do this with a thousand units. I want to, that was my dream was a thousand doors. And if you heard from the beginning, you know, I said we're at a thousand doors right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that, that, that I accomplished that I achieved that. But when I talked to some of my mentors and bankers and lenders and people that have been in this game, they're like, dude, you can't do that. I mean, maybe you can do that with single family homes, but you're not going to want to like, you're going to be so fried trying to manage a thousand single family homes or trailers. Um, you need to get into commercial real estate. You need to get into apartments or self-storage or, or retail or whatever, but not this. And that made a lot of sense to me. Um, but I was still faced with, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm scraping together 20 grand, 30 grand at a time to put down a down payment. It's taking me one to two years to buy a house. Like I'm, I'm never going to get there. And that's when I kind of opened the door to 
more strategies, right? Seller financing, seller carryback, uh, private money lenders for your down payments, partnerships to help you get the loans, syndication models. Um, and, and then I, I bought a course and started to, started to learn that, but it was, a it was very, very humble beginnings in, in getting going. I mean, it took me probably five years to amass seven properties and then another four years to, to get to, you know, a thousand plus 500 self stores. So it was a much better model to scale. Oh man, that's a, that's a great story. Um, because I think that real estate, the one limiting belief that a lot of people have about getting into real estate is I don't have enough money. You know, I, number, number one objection, <laughs> you know, that a lot of people think like I have to have a ton of money to get into real estate. Um, I've heard that, you know, 90% of millionaires are created through real estate, but I don't have the money. And here you are, you, you found a way. Now, one thing you said, which I think is key to anybody starting in any facet of the real estate business is you had courage and confidence. Like you, you, you weren't sure exactly the first deal you do. I don't care. You, you for you, it was one mobile home. You know, for some other people, it might be one single family house. For another person, it might be their first multifamily. But everybody's freaking scared the first time they do it because you don't know. You, you know, like, so there's a level of having to, you know, you invest in yourself and you try to learn as much as you can. But at some point, you got to take action and you took action and you got kind of got burned on that first one, right? Um, but that taught you, and then you you didn't quit. You wanted to quit. You thought about quitting. You didn't quit, and you know the fruits came later. Well, you hit the the nail on the head. It's everyone is scared, and they're they're most of the people in the world. They they just can't get past that. You know, there's a right. reason why the there's five to ten percent of people that have most of the money. You know, it's like, they're the ones taking the risks. They're the ones starting the businesses, you know, taking on the loans, buying the real estate. Um, and I think that that fear is, is good, right? Because you can, you can get in a world of hurt. You can put yourself in a much worse position than if you had never taken that risk. But if you take the next step, it becomes less scary. You know, action kills fear where it's like, all right, worst case scenario, I'm going to lose five, $10,000. Could I handle that? Yeah. Was it going to hurt? Sure. But I was willing to, to take that risk because I saw where it could go. And I didn't start with like going out there and buying a, you know, five, $10 million multifamily property. Um, because I just wasn't qualified to do that. I wasn't ready to do that. And so we all have things that we feel we're unqualified for, but, but starting I think is so critical. And so like, our mentoring program, we only take people that already have a real estate portfolio because I know they've got that X factor of they can take risks, they can take down deals, they're going to do it. Now I just got to turn them a couple of degrees to multifamily and this is going to work because they've already proven that they can be successful in what they do. And, and you can't really teach that. That's sort of a, um, I don't know, certain people have it and certain people don't. At least I don't know how to teach that. So talk about talk about that. So you've got a mentoring program um, that and you have a requirement that they have to have already done some deals on the residential side and they have an interest in moving to multifamily. 
Yeah, and I know it doesn't seem fair because it's like, well, if I if I want to start and I can't start and I don't have experience, I need to. But when we when we started the program, we would take on anybody that you know would pay us, right? If you if you pay four hundred dollars a month, you're in. Well, my goal is results, right? I I want to get results, and we found that by and large, a lot of the people um, would not succeed, and I didn't I didn't feel good about that. I didn't feel good about having a program. That now, granted, we needed to make the program better, but I didn't feel good about having a program that did not have a, you know, very, very, very high success rate. And when I unlocked that and realized who are the people that have closed deals, that have been in the longest, that have had the most success with this, and by and large, they were people that already had a portfolio. They've got a couple single family homes or they own their own business and they just took this and, and they ran with it. Um, because it is a building block, but you still have to have that spark, that entrepreneurial, like, I'm going to make this happen and take the risk uh, no matter what. And it's the same thing with investing. Um, when we're talking to investors, I mean, I would talk to the same investor, run by three or four deals with them, and they're like, ah, no, I'm going to pass on this, and I'm going to pass on this one. Meanwhile, other people, maybe with less experience, but they had that spark, like, I'm going to take a risk did phenomenally well. And eventually I just stopped calling those people because I realized no matter, I could be handing them, you know, a 50 cent on the dollar deal and they'd still find a reason to pass on this deal. And so I'm kind of like, eh, you know what? I just don't think they're cut out to really invest in, in multifamily. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I have a guy who I'm partnered with on one deal and, and he's done very, very well on multifamily. And he's told me, he's like, Darren, man, I had people, you know, 15 years ago tell me, you know, I think we're at the top and I'm going to wait. And that he's like, that, that guy still has not done anything. And, you know, and that's to your point. That's, you know, some people are just never going to get off the, off the, you know, the ledge and, and take a chance. So what is your advice to somebody that has never invested in real estate, wants to dip their toe in and, you know, not necessarily, they're not all in, but they want to, they want to invest. Like, how do they go about doing that? I go back to, to Warren Buffett, you know, invest in what you know. So if you are someone that you've seen real estate work, you, you, you're attracted to that, you like it, and you understand it on a, on a back of the napkin math sort of way, because I think a lot of real estate deals can get overcomplicated, right? Where they're, they're sending you so much data, 150 something page private placement memorandum with all these, you know, metrics of how this is such a great deal. If I can't understand the deal pretty, pretty simply, then I don't want to place my money in that. And I think that the best way to protect yourself is to learn about it, right? I don't really invest in the stock market too much because I don't really... I don't know, you know, I don't know how to evaluate the value of a company and how much cash on hand and all that stuff. I just, there's people that do and they do really well with it. But I think that if you're going to invest in, in multifamily, you've got to have a basic understanding of, um, you know, the, the principles, like how much am I paying per unit? How much is the rent today? How much do they think the rent can be? Do I agree with that assessment, right? Like I'm going to do my own little research on the market rent. So I think that that really say they can get $1,300. Can they get $1,300? Um, I see the kind of debt they have. Do they have fixed debt? 
for five years or do they have like a two year floating bridge debt and everything has to go perfectly or we're all going to be in serious, serious trouble. Um, I look at like the value. Are they buying it and the market rents are 900 and, and they're rented at 600 right now or are the market rents 900 and they're at 859 and but they're going to add pet fees and that's their whole business model is they're you know, they're going to they're going to do all these little side um, machinations to make this deal work because you got to think about the um, priorities of a syndicator, right? Priorities of a syndicator are, can be to continue to close deals, right? They get fees from closing deals. They get fees from selling deals. They get fees from right financing. They get fees from raising money. And so if a deal is kind of skinny, they're still incentivized to close that deal. And so you have to really be aware of understanding the fundamentals behind the syndicator and besides the deal, knowing that person, right? What is their track record? How long have they been doing it? Have they gone through market cycles? What's their partnerships look like? And what's their um, thesis, right? Do they, do you agree with their thesis? Like, are they a value add guy? Do they like to buy, you know, B class for cash flow? Are they long-term? Are they, are they value add and flip it? What are, what are we, what are we doing? And do I agree with that? And just dumb it down to, Hey, if you found a rental home, and you could buy it for 80 grand and you could get, you know, $1,200 a month for rent. It's like, that's probably a pretty good deal. At first pass, that's probably a good deal. I'm going to drill in further versus, hey, would you buy a $180,000 a unit property that you can only rent for $1,500, $1,600? Like you're below the 1% rule. Like, how are they going to make this make sense? And some syndicators can because they're playing the appreciation game. I don't really like that because it's it's a lot of conjecture and things have to go your way for those deals to work. So a big, big answer. But I mean, educating yourself, I think if, if you're going to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into multifamily real estate, you need to know the basics. I love what you said about investing what you know. I think it's, um, you know, there are people out there that say jump right into multifamily. There's other people that say do single family. There's People, look, real estate, there's a lot of different avenues. There's short-term rentals. There's, you know, there's self-storage. There's, you know, different commercial. There's, there's uh, um, industrial and where, you know, um, offices are kind of in the tank right now, retail. But there's a lot of different opportunities. It's where are you comfortable? Because, you know, we talked to Jennings and he said it, you know, he got, he was scared that first time he bought a mobile home park. I've interviewed a ton of syndicators, and that first deal is is many times the scariest deal um, for a lot of people. So, you know, there's some people that are buying 300-unit apartment complexes, but when I ask them what was their scariest deal, they say it was the first single-family house that they bought, you know, and because they didn't know anything, you know. So there are opportunities to even just rent out a room in your house. Like, uh, you know, obviously you have to know who you're, who you're renting to. Um, but learning that real estate can actually provide you with, with positive cash flow starts giving you the courage and the confidence to, to go the next step. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think sometimes going back to that experience level, sometimes the the newer people are the most conservative too, right? If they've been trained, right? And they've got some, some partners that know what they're doing and they've got good advice. A lot of times 
they're looking at those first couple of deals that they do very, very, very hard. And they're only going to close something that is a home run. Um, and then you can see, I see it all the time where experienced guys get into trouble because they get lazy. They, they think, Oh wait, we can, we can make anything work. Um, and the market's gotten so hot that we've got to pay higher prices to win stuff. And so, I mean, me personally, 2022, I closed one deal, right? I, Cause I just couldn't make stuff pencil. Like it didn't make sense to me. And the, the market was so hot and we found one little gem. It was 32 units for 40 K a door market rents. You know, they were currently at 650 and the market rents were 750 to 800 and we're paying 40 K a unit and it was in good shape. New roofs, new parking lots, like full, like, all right, yes, this is a home run. Let's do this deal. We did. Um, and, and now we've taken the rent roll, you know, up $7,000 a month in, in, less than a year. So it's, it's, it's working, it's working great, but I passed on a lot in 2022. Cause it was just like, I had to make that underwriting. So like, so tight and almost see things that maybe weren't there, like projecting 7% rent increases year over year. And so it's like, that's not normal. Even though that happened in COVID, that's not going to continue to happen. And we're seeing people that reach a little too far making the deals work with the IO bridge debt, you know, at two, 3%, like now their bridge debt, it's at 7%, 8%, 9%. And, and they can't refinance. The equity's not even there. You know, we, if you, if you follow multifamily, you saw the syndicator in Houston that walked away from a $400 million portfolio, gave the keys back to the bank, lost a hundred million dollars worth of investor money. Like, I don't want to be that guy. So I, I'm not, I'm going to stick to what I know. And I want to close deals in this environment. I think this is one of the best times to be buying because if you can make something pencil at six and a half percent, you know, you think think today is is a good time to be buying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If if you're buying a great deal, you know, um, I don't think this is the time to be stretching. I don't think this is the time to be stretching. So here's here's kind of where I feel like I feel like because I'm in a lot of different deals and the deals that we're like, I got into in the last year or two are definitely some of the ones that have floating rate debt are the ones that are, you know, have more struggles and more challenges. But in today's environment, you know, we, we all know what the interest rates are. They're higher, you know, so that's going to be in the underwriting. You know, we know that property taxes are higher. We know that insurance rates are higher. So all of that is in the underwriting. So, I'm in agreement with you that today is a better time to be buying than the last year or two, you know? Um, so, you know, who knows which direction it goes in, but, um, you know, if interest rates drop, then that help could help, you know, both from a cap rate perspective and also a debt service perspective. It could go the other way and rates can go higher. Um, but in any event, it we're dealing with knowns now and, you know, values are also down 20, 25%. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sticking to that. If, if it pencils out today, right. If I can, you know, get fairly close to breaking even at acquisition and there's a value add to today's market rents, you know, not projecting future increases, but today's market rents and I can get cash flow positive at a six and a half percent interest rate and I can get five years fixed debt, then I'm going to buy that. And I may get lucky and the rates come down 
and you know their economy improves and rents continue to grow, and I look very very smart. Uh, I may not get lucky, and but I'm still in five year fixed debt. I'm still cash flowing positive, you know, at today's market rents. And as long as rents don't go down, um, then I'm I'm probably going to be okay. Now you say, well, rents rents may go down, but if you look at the historical charts on multifamily rents over the last like 70 years, they don't go down. Like, I mean, they, they flattened out in 2008 to 10. And I'm not saying there's not micro markets where rents have decreased, but by and large, we have not seen rents go down across our portfolio. We've seen them flatten out. We've become less aggressive. If we have vacancy, we, we're giving incentives. We're filling them up. We do not want to be in a high vacancy situation. We've shed any long, any short-term debt we have. If we had two-year bridge don- debt on it, we sold it or we refinanced it. And everything I'm holding is uh, either you know t- five or 10-year uh, debt. And, and that helps me to, to sleep at night. And if if so, you said if you get lucky, interest rates go down. Um, but in the in the other scenario, if you're in fixed rate debt and interest rates rise, your your debt service is locked in. You're not paying any more for that. But then, if you're in an inflationary environment, you know people could be paying getting higher wages, and then they can afford higher rents. So, you know, inflation in that environment could be. A, you know, a good well, way. And the also. value of my, the value of my property may even drop, right? If rates continue to rise, the value of my property may even drop, but I, I'm, I'm insulated from that because I'm cash flowing, right? I can wait it. I can wait it out. Right. And, and maybe we, our initial pro forma was we're going to refinance in two, two years or three years. And we got to go to the investors and say, Hey, fed raises rates 400 basis points. I didn't account for that. The deal's not in trouble, but we're not going to refinance this year. Um, we're going to sell or we're going to have to hold and see what happens with the rates, but your money's protected. We're still in a cash flow positive situation. And, you know, investors understand that, or they need to understand that if they're getting into multifamily, you're getting into a very illiquid asset. And a lot of this stuff is out of a syndicator's control with the, with the fed and raising the rates and the valuations. Um, a lot of it's in his control, but there's some components of that that are out and it may not make sense to refinance that and get your cash back out because now our DSCR is, is too low. It may not make sense to sell it right now because we did all this work, we stabilized it, and now we're going to sell it for break even. Whereas if we waited another year or two and rates come down, we could sell it for $2 million profit. Like syndicators probably going to be incentivized to wait that out and make those profits. That's a good point. Hey, well, another thing I saw on your on your website was, which is not typically talked about very much in the multifamily world, is no money down. Like, so mon- no money down is kind of more thought of in terms of, you know, residential or creative financing scenarios, but multifamily, typically people talk about, hey, multifamily is scalability and it's, it's going to take longer to turn and and get the um, the valuation up. So, where are you referring to no money down? So, I, I like I like no money down deals because you are, you control all the equity. Um, you know, a lot of syndications you're giving away uh, 
30% to, to 80% of the equity of the deal to the money guys, right? To the, to the investors that are putting the capital in. And so um, I typically try to find deals where I can get the investors the returns that they need without having to give away more than 50% of the deal. So our portfolio is not a traditional syndication portfolio where we own 20% of that. Like we own 50% of the equity of our portfolio. And wow. so that's partially because we've been very disciplined with the deals that we identify. Um, and partially because a lot of the portfolio we've bought with without investors. Um, and so how we do that is a couple different strategies. I mean, one is hard money for your down payment. So as you're building your network of investors, right? If you're a syndicator listening to this or multifamily guy, you've got your investors. You need to think about also like hard money lenders, people that will loan you money at 8% to 15% interest only for a specific term. And what I'm talking about here is levering up the risk of your deal. So buyer beware, like you don't want to utilize this strategy if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but if you do know what you're doing and you know you have a slam dunk deal on your hands, like that 32 unit I bought in Ohio, 32 units, cash loan day one, no renovations needed, and I can bump rents, you know, $150, $200 to market rent, and I can get it for 40 k a door. Like, I can make a million dollars, million two, in 18 months, right? I don't want to give away 70% of that deal. There's no way I'm going to do that. So I needed $600,000 for the down payment. Uh, it was a $1.2 million purchase. And so how we did it was we got a loan, you know, for the primary amount, 70% or whatever. It was. I think it was 70% of the purchase price. And the other 600K, I went to my my network. Uh, and, and I have a hard money lender who, or private, not hard money, but like pri just a private investor. And I said, hey, I'll pay you uh, 15%. This is a great deal. I'll pay you 15% interest, uh, paid monthly, interest only. And it's going to take us about two years to get this deal done. Uh, and you got to give us like one more year extension. If we have to exercise it, we pay you a, a point and we can extend it another 12 months. And you can do it for less, right? Some people can do it for 8%, 10%. Depends on the depth of your network. But I, I offer 15% because this was a this was a really good deal. And and the cash it cash flowed to pay that private money um loan. And if you're listening and you're like, well, yeah, but dude, you're not you're never gonna find a deal like that. Well, I'd rather buy a 32 unit that I own a hundred percent than go buy a 200 unit that I own three percent of, right? There's 30% of the GP and there's 10 people in the GP. And you know, like what's the point? The point is to make money. You're trying to make gains. And I'm not doing this for a vanity metric to say how many doors I have or how many properties I have. I'm doing this to put cash in the bank. And so we, we structured it that way and we were able to do it with, it wasn't no money down as far as like the, the, the seller sold it to us for no money down. Um, but it was no money down out of our pocket without giving up any equity. That, that's one strategy. So a couple, a couple of questions on that one, the primary lender, do they have to, buy into the fact that you have a secondary lender? You have to disclose that on your, on your um, personal financial sheet, but it's not attached to the property. So she's not in, 
a second position mortgage. She's it was not, just, she's not no. in a second position mortgage. She's just getting a 15% return. It's a promissory note. And now we signed um, personal guarantees on that. So like I'm putting up my full faith and credit that, that I'm going to pay her back. Right. Um, but, but no, she's not in a second position to that. And so a bank sort of looks at that as like, well, I mean, we're not, if it all goes to hell and we got to take the property back, like we're, we're in it for 750 grand and it's worth 1.2, which is what he paid for it. We we don't care about her. Like she, she has no claim over this property. So whatever. Right. Um, so it, it, it doesn't necessarily affect that. Um, but you do need to like in your personal financial statements, you need to disclose that you have a $600,000 note. Right. Okay. Um, so then the second question, and this probably comes down to the fact that it was a sweetheart deal, but, like a lot of deals that I see today have low cash flow, you know? Um, so, you know, the, the bulk of the return is going to come on the, on the back end after the value add stra- strategy has been implemented. So how do you afford a 15% interest rate? Okay. So, so here's the second strategy that I've implemented. Um, it's essentially the same concept, except the lender is the seller. Okay. So I'll, I'll use a, I'll use a real life example. Um, back in 2019, end of 2019, I, I cold called a self-storage guy in a town, like two towns over from my town and asked him if he'd be willing to sell. He said, sure, I do. I do want to sell, but I want $1.2 million. And I went and looked at the property. It was about a hundred, uh, 100 self or 186 self storage units and then uh 100 like boat and RV parking spaces. So we we looked at the cash flow, he was bringing in about $9500 a month gross and I looked at the underwriting and I'm like if I got to raise capital for this, I can really only pay about I don't know, maybe 900 grand, 8 or 900 grand. And so he, he didn't want that. He wouldn't do that. He's like, I need 1.2. That's what I'm going to sell for. I'm not going to sell it. And he was an older guy. It was paid off. Like he didn't, he didn't care. And he didn't want to owner finance me for no money down. And most sellers are not going to, right? A lot of these courses, they sell you, oh, you know, just tell the seller that you'll just take over payments. And well, real life sellers don't like that. Like, I mean, who wants to sell their property and walk away with zero? And then you get, you pay them $2,000 a month for, for 50 years. Like, I mean, you're, you're not going to get many people to agree to that. So how we structured it was we went to a local bank, we put under contract for 1.2 and the bank offered to give us an 80% loan, right? This was back in, in a 2019, but they gave us an 80% loan. So they loaned us $860,000. The seller, I said, I can pay you 1.2 million if you loan me back 300 grand. So you'll get eight, you'll get $800,000 or 900. Hold on. Let me uh, get my math right. Sorry, the loan from the bank was 960, not 860. Loan from the bank was 960. So we gave him 900K at closing and he deferred his last $300,000, okay? So we're now making payments to the bank on the the $960,000 loan. We're making payments to the seller on his $300,000 loan. And he loaned it to us at uh, 4%, 4% interest only and a three-year balloon. So... We, we not only got it for no money down, we actually got a check for $60,000 at closing. Because if you think about this, the bank gave us nine sixty, he gave us 300, that's 1.26 million. So, and, and this worked because 
even where we were at with 9,500 a month, I could still afford to pay the bank and I could still afford to pay my expenses and I could still afford to pay him because he only loaned me the money at 4% IO. Like it's a pretty low payment. It's like 15, $1,600 a month. And so that worked and it worked because there was a value add component, right? He, part of the negotiations was he was adding 25 more boat spaces. He had a, like a little bit of vacancy in his rental or in his self-storage. He was 20% under market value. So we reoriented all the parking lots. We automated the gate. We raised rents 20%. And we got the rent roll from 9,500 to like 16,000 a month. So there was a large value add component there. Now we just went back to the bank, said, hey, look at the property. Let's get it appraised. They appraised it. Appraisal came back at $2.2 million. So So we're like, well, all we need is a $300,000 additional loan. Like we just need to get this guy out. And they agreed to tack that on. So I didn't have to refinance the whole loan because I had a good rate, right? This was a couple of years ago. I had a good rate and they loaned me 300 grand at like six and a quarter, 6.3, which is still not bad. Um, but t- 20, year, uh, 20 year amortization, 10 year term. And our, our debt payment jumped up by I think maybe a thousand dollars a month, but now we're cash flowing three to four grand a month positive anyway. And he's so, out of the deal. And the seller's happy. He got his full price. We bought the deal, no money down, and we created, you know, almost a million dollars, nine hundred forty thousand dollars in equity. That's crazy. Now, so do you teach your people in your uh, mentoring program these different strategies? Yeah, because there's you know. There's pitfalls to how, how do you structure that? What, how does it work closing day? How do you stay out of trouble with the banks and not create mortgage fraud? And, and, um, and in that instance, I straight up told the bank, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm structuring it. And, uh, and they were good with it. Now, a lot of banks may not be good with it, but that bank was. So right. that's all that matters to me. And then um, do you partner with your you know, mentoring students or do you just give them advice? Yeah. Yeah. So that deal, the, the, the awesome deal in Ohio, the deal room guy found that and we helped him get the loan. We got him the 600 K down payment and we split the deal with him 50, 50. Very cool. Um, so now where do you go from here? What's your kind of stretch goal? So what I'm doing right now is we're, we're selling off, uh, about five properties and, these are properties that we've got a lot of equity tied up in. They were C-class distressed assets that had a, a problem um, and we fixed them. Right. And now we're looking at, okay, what is the return on equity? Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, we bought for five and a half million. We put two and a half million into it all in for 8 million. Right. We refinanced everybody out. All the investors got all their money back and it appraised for, for 14 million, 15 million. Because we took the rent roll from fifty five thousand to one hundred and thirty thousand, it was a it was a major value add, big big problem. You know, I'm talking yeah. half empty, two and a half million dollar renovation. I mean, we got shot at when we uh, walk in the property. Like it was, it, a guy got murdered the first week we owned it. So you hear these stories of like, oh, we made millions of dollars. Like, yeah, we solved problems, major problems. Um, so what we did, we turned that property over, and. But you look at like, if your debt is nine and a half million, right? We refinanced it, paid everybody off, pulled out a million five in cash. Our debt is nine and a half million and it's worth 14, right? That's four and a half million dollars of equity. 
and it's only cash flowing like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a month. So the return on equity is you know less than five percent, three and a half, four percent. So does it really make sense to hold that for the next ten years? We we don't think so. We think let's pull the money out and redeploy that into another problem because there are going to be motivated sellers. There already are motivated sellers. We're already seeing people being more reasonable. I don't think we're going to see blood in the streets, but I think if you're diligent and you're working it, you're going to be able to get better deals than you got in 2021 and 2022. So my, my strategy right now is I'm, I'm expanding again. So if people want to get to know you more, what you have to offer, what, where, where should we point them to? Uh, if Easiest place to just go to Jennings Smith Jr., JenningsmithJR.com. Um, that's my website. You can connect with me on socials. You can listen to my podcast. Um, and if you DM me the word course or just reach out to me on DM, we have a, like, I'll give you my underwriting. I'll, I'll give you my, my, my spreadsheet calculator that me and my team built ground up. I'll give you an eight video course on how to use the, the analyzer so that you can make the transition from single family into multifamily doing bigger deals. Cause I mean, the first building block is what's a deal, right? How do I understand the underwriting behind what's a deal? And if you're an investor, I think this would be an extremely valuable tool, like get an underwriting tool and understand how the underwriting works so that when you're looking at these OMs uh, and, and these pitch decks from other syndicators, you can see for yourself, is this something I agree with? Do I agree with their assumptions? Uh, is this something that I want to? So it's just a, it's a cool tool that we give to people that reach out to us. Um, so just, yeah, reach out to me on socials. I answer every DM I get. So where, is there a certain platform or a, that they should go on and DM you on? Um, Instagram or Facebook are the best places so to get Instagram me. Instagram or Facebook, DM Jennings with the word course and, and he'll send you his... Um, underwriting guides um, and pricing sheets. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. There's not many people that talk about no money down. So um, I, I really appreciate you getting to understand that as well. So until next time, sign off. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Jennings. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.